Greetings. I've been asked to do the message for The Connection tonight, and I decided I wanted to do something about the person of Christ because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with an individual, the person of Jesus Christ. And through him, God the Father, and to some degree, God the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is clear that we need the work of Christ, what Jesus has done. We call on him, and we enter into a living relationship with him. It's part objective, what the Bible actually says about matters, but it's also part subjective, our life in Christ as he leads us and guides us. So I want to take some time to look at one of Jesus' miracles. And in the run-up to this great miracle where he walked on the water, I want to read the account that led up to it. So let's just get right on into this. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus or the reports about Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John, the baptizer, had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they regarded him John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Thereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. And having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took away the body and buried it, and they went and reported to Jesus. Now when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. In Mark's account, we have a little bit fuller picture. Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. Isn't this interesting? And he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was perplexed or puzzled, but he used to enjoy listening to him. I almost think of this like as a trifler. There are some people that are aware of spiritual matters, and yet he's living contrary to the things of God that he knows is wrong. This is a very dangerous area. It's one thing to be seeking and asking questions. It's another thing to just be a trifler. And we're also told this banquet was for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So this is all the big shots. And when he said to her he would give her anything she asked up to half the kingdom, the girl went to her mother to see what should I ask. And she said, the head of John the Baptist. These are malicious people. The king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. When John the Baptist's disciples heard of it. They came and got his body and buried his body. No telling what happened with the head. There's some awful stories of what victors would do with an enemy they had vanquished. Well, they reported it to Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. Jesus was a man. It's clear in Gethsemane he did not want to die. He said his spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. So when he heard of his cousin John being beheaded, maybe this was hidden from him, 
And that wouldn't surprise me because Satan was given opportunities to try to get Jesus to sin. If you remember the temptations in the wilderness, when they failed, it says he departed for an opportune time. Well, for God the Father to veil a certain amount of this from Jesus, then the shock of it, Satan may have tried to move in in different ways to see about getting Jesus to sin. It almost, it's not the same, but with Job, these calamities were big surprises that happened, and the goal of it was to get Job to sin. You remember even his wife said, why do you still hold your integrity? Curse God and die. So I think this may have been withheld from Jesus, and then when this hits, even though he may have known, when it actually hits, the reality comes home, and he needed to get by himself alone. The only purpose that I can see would be to be communicating with God the Father about this and doing what he needed to do to process this. So what did he do when he comes away from that? When the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he came out from this lonely place he's at, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Jesus, he went to be alone, and then he comes out knowing the amount of evil that's in this world, and he's seeing these people, and he has compassion on them. It's almost like there's a temporalness to the time in this age, and this is an opportunity. The way I phrase this, this is the only time in my eternal existence that I'm going to be around individuals that are made in the image of God that do not know him and need him. God Almighty, please help me to be a witness and be available for them. Because this is the only time it's going to happen, this life. Well, when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, The place is desolate, and time has already passed, so send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. You know, I've talked to you about The Chosen, the first multi-season series on the life of Christ. Well, this about the fish and the loaves is critical to this whole project. If you have a chance to listen to Dallas Jenkins on it, it's just very interesting. But the key of it is all we are required to do is bring to him the best loaves and the fish that we have. That's it. Give them to him, and he's the one that will feed the 5,000, not us. Well, they brought those loaves and fish to Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, and I like in Mark it says on the green grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed, this says the food, but he blessed, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples to the multitudes. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. Mine says large-sized baskets. And there were about five thousand men who ate, aside from women and children. I have no idea how many people we're talking about. And immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. He compelled them to get in. This wasn't a request. And go ahead of him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, he dismissed them. In John, we're told in the same account that they were intending on making him king. So he shut the whole thing down, dismissed them. After he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So there it is again. Jesus knew he was heading to a cross, and I think this thing with John the Baptist isn't something that ever went away for him. And this shot of reality, him knowing where he was going, even though he would be working with people, 
He also needed that time alone with God to get his spirit and his soul ready. And I don't think it's really a whole lot different with us. We need to be seeking God. And you can't do it if you're constantly around people all the time, constantly in quote ministry, and never just one-on-one -on -one before him and hopefully being able to hear where he might be at. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, stadia being 600 feet, battered by the waves, but the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came. To them walking up on the sea And when they saw him walking on the sea They were frightened Saying, it's a phantom, it's a ghost And they cried for fear Yes, they cried out terrified When they saw him walking on the water but immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage! I, I am! Do not be afraid! And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if you are, command me to come to thee on the water. And he said, Come! And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus on that stormy sea of Galilee. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began sinking. And he cried out, saying, Lord, save me! I'm sinking in the water. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, this is the Son of God. It has to be. Yes, it is. Even the seas and the winds obey him. We saw and him. We saw him. And we, we saw him. We saw him. We saw him. He's walking on the water. On the water. Yes, we saw him walking on the water. We saw him walking on the water.
Well, I hope I was able to get that song in there. And I want to come back through this just for a moment. We're going to take a look at this. In the fourth watch of the night, about 3 a.m., Jesus came to them walking upon the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened. They were terrified, saying, It's a ghost, or it's the word we get phantom from. And they cried out for fear. So it wasn't just one of them, it's all of them. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, Take courage, I, I am. That's the designation for God Almighty. Moses at the burning bush. Do not be afraid. That take courage means be confident or hopeful or good cheer or be of good courage. Or, I like this, maintain a bold bearing. Now, what's interesting, Jesus sent them across. He isn't with them. There was another time Jesus was with them. He'd fallen asleep and they got him up and said, don't you care, we're perishing. And he said, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And he commanded that the winds and the sea stop. This time, he is not with them, but instead of turning back, they keep going forward as Jesus had commanded them. Now, when Jesus comes and says, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if you, if you are, exactly opposite, I, I am, if you, you are, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. I, I don't quite understand Peter's rashness, but if you notice, he didn't just say, I'm going to come on the water. He asked the Lord, even in this zeal, even in this crisis, this storm, but now this, what they were terrified of, thought as a ghost, if you, you are, command me to come to you. Not command me to walk on the water, just command me to come to you. Peter wanted to be with the Lord. He's aggressive about that. So it's not even presumption, but I'm going to go do this. He's making his request known, and then when the Lord says, come, then he comes. So I think we need to somehow be able to hear the voice of the Son of God saying, this is the way, walk in it. Even if we feel real strongly about something, we still need to try to make sure that it's him. And then when we hear, come, and we know this is it, then you move. And Peter did. He got out of the boat in the midst of this raging sea of Galilee. He gets out of the boat. And as a fisherman, I know he would know the dangers but he gets out of the boat and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It's by faith that he was stepping out on that water. Look, don't ask me of God's power and how he does some of these things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But as soon as he starts to look around and he sees the wind. Oh, wait a minute. Science, how can you see the wind? You can't see the wind. You might feel it. You might can hear it. You might can smell something in the wind, but you can't see the wind. So the Bible is not even true, right? When I was a kid growing up in Kansas, we had what were called dirt devils. And what it was, it's just like a little teeny miniature tornado that would just pop up and it's going through the field and then you could see the wind and what you do is run to try to get in the middle of it and i remember one time when i was in texas i was standing on a porch and the wind was coming from the north and it was this straight sheets of rain just violent from the north and all of a sudden it was this one big huge rotation and i could see the wind i'm seeing the rain in the wind but i could see the wind there's a good chance 
when he looked out, whether it's a full moon or whatever it was, where they could even see Jesus, there's enough light that he could see the motion of this wind. And he began to sink, and he cried out, not some big flowery prayer. It's a prayer of panic. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? So on one hand, Peter's doing it right. Command that I come to you. Here's it. Yes, he comes. He's walking on the water. He starts looking around. And then when he starts getting afraid, what happens? He starts sinking. Isn't that true with all of us? Take your eyes off the Lord, we start sinking. I tell people, it's amazing how quickly I degenerate. We need to keep seeking Him. And when He calls us to things, we need to remind ourselves regularly of His power, His commitment, and that He's with us. And even if it's hard things like this, they, they were obeying the Lord and storms came. God help us that as we obey Him, in whatever he'd call us to, when the storms come, rather than start looking around at the storms and start sinking, we have a sureness in our hearts that this is where God wants us. And Lord, help me to be faithful to you to the end, to fulfill my ministry. Isn't that what Paul said to Timothy? Fulfill your ministry. You keep pursuing, even though there's storms all around you. Paul even talked about conflicts without, fears within. God help me in my unbelief. We've got to bring this to him and for him to give us the power to move forward. Because he will rebuke us like he did Peter here for little faith. Look at what Peter did. And yet he still rebuked you of little faith. You start out with a great faith, but how great was it? Because it faded pretty quick, seconds. So I think when troubles come, especially if it's a longer haul that we're involved in, it does expose how much faith we actually do have or don't have. And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. This account, and I don't call it a story, is clearly a fantastic power over nature. And to some, I am positive this reads like a fairy tale, a myth some kind of folklore. But to me, it doesn't read that way at all. And I hope not to you either. Well, why is it? How is it that the summit reads like a fairy tale and then the others that it reads as an historical account? To say we believe it means we've become persuaded that this is true, that this actually happened. And how do we get from having no knowledge of this to an embracing of it? Well, as I mentioned before, maybe even the last video, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It means where you can stand under something. The conviction of things not seen or being certain of things that are not seen. That's what biblical faith is. I do believe, first of all, that faith is a gift from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Many have argued, what's the gift, the grace or faith? Well, I think it's just both. For grace, that's a gift from God that God has grace on us. And faith, I believe they're both gifts from God. But what is the mechanism of how one can gain this without playing games with themselves like I'm supposed to believe this? Well, I know for myself, when I first started getting into the Bible, I'm just reading it. 
I'm not having anybody tell me to read it. I'm just reading it. On so one hand, I'd run across things I didn't like or thought, what? On the other hand, something else that would make me curious to want to know more. For example, in the book of Job, man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And I said, that explains my whole life. What else does this book have to say? In James, the tongue, it's a small member of our body, and yet what great fires it starts, just like a spark set a whole forest fire. And I said, you know, that is true. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Words have tremendous power. They can cause all kinds of trouble. Just words. And then I read in Proverbs, death and life is in the power of the tongue or the hand of the tongue. I'm saying, you know, that's right. Then I'd read something else like him being the creator of the earth in Revelation, he will destroy those who destroy the earth. Okay, you made this place. So for people who are polluting it and destroying it, you say you're going to destroy them? Huh, that makes sense to me. And it took tremendous pressure off of me. Step by step by step, I was getting convinced that the material here was sound, trustworthy. I believe as God continues to work with us in that way, then there's a point it's like, I don't know if that's true, but rather than dismissing it out of hand, it's like you just kind of set it to the side a little bit. And eventually, if you get in a relationship with him, you're going to ask him about it to give you insight of what's happening here. And even now, there's parts of the Bible that I don't understand. I'm convinced that I don't have the necessary missing pieces to be able to quite understand exactly. But then I do remember there was a point, because I had been a big evolutionist, I read the creation account. Not anybody reading it to me, not anybody telling me anything, and I just read through it. And it read as a historical account, not a story, a historical account. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And I said, I believe this. The other thing that happens with this, he says, it's impossible for him to lie. And he says that he cannot lie. And so when you read these accounts and you don't believe it, am I calling him a liar? And if there's any fear of God, you back off from that. God, I do believe, help me in my unbelief. And I think that's a big key where we give God the benefit of the doubt and ask him for understanding or a broadened mind or more information, whatever's necessary, because he wants us to serve him in righteousness and in peace and in joy. How can I serve him in righteousness, peace, and in joy if I've got questions about this material, if it's a fairy tale or not? So he has persuaded me that he has this kind of authority and he has this kind of power, and these events occurred, and these men, Matthew in this case, were witnesses of it, and wrote down what happened. I can't get you there, and I can't get anybody else there. This is a journey we must all take on our own. And either it's a fairy tale, or this material we can rest our full weight on. The author of this book says he created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. So I want to close with this. These accounts are very important for us to get a glimpse of who it is we're dealing with. And the long and short of it for me, when I look at what he did here, walking on the water, telling the winds and the seas to stop their raging, the same one that said he called everything into being, he spoke it into existence. If he's got a hold of me, I don't have anything to worry about. Everything's going to be okay. All I can say is, God, help me when the storms come to not start looking at them and lose sight of you. And I want to thank you in advance that if I do look around and start to sink, 
and I cry out, Lord, save me. You are the great shepherd of the sheep. You're not going to lose one. And no one can pluck us out of your hand. And there's no way that we can be overcome when it's all said and done by the storms of this world. We need to know that to where then when the storms come, we need to know he's bigger than those. And we are not going to perish under them. So I want to thank you for listening. God help us all listen to this material. Learn, search it out, ask questions, tell him what you doubt, where you doubt, how you doubt. Don't be afraid to call on him. Lord, save me if you're sinking. Because he'll reach down and grab you and you will indeed live.